This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Chicha changes. There's going to have to be a different man. Time may change me, but I can't trace time. Or can I trace time? Um, maybe. We're going to try today. Uh, so you know what today's show is about? Well, we have a very interesting guest coming up in just a bit. Carrie Kanya was the project lead on a big, new, beautiful coffee table book called Bowie Icon. All right, real real quick on the news. Uh, first, let me welcome Chris Sisnak and Aaron Camaro of the Decibel Geek podcast to the House of Pantheon. Uh, Decibel Geek is a podcast that features discussion on all things hard rock and heavy metal from the 1960s through today. Uh, year in review shows, top five discussions, radio suck shows, uh, interviews with members of Kiss, Alice Cooper, Ugly Kid Joe, Armored Saint, Wasp, Great White, Vixen, Killer Dwarfs, and many, many more. Uh, it's a great show. Uh, we uh, have uh, enjoyed it from afar uh, for a very long time and are very excited to have them join uh, the network. Plus, these guys are the creators of the Rockin' Pod Expo that's held in Nashville and has been since 2017 un until pandemic year. Uh, it is the first and best place for music podcasters to gather, uh, such as ourselves. Um, you know, uh, swap war stories, uh, see guests, and learn new things um, specific to, you know, being a music podcaster and, of course, enjoying and being passionate about the subject of, of rock music now while we haven't um uh, peter and myself or the management of, uh, of of pantheon haven't been able to attend so far some of our hosts have uh in fact i know the muses did a couple of years ago and um if 2021 proves to be the comeback year we all hope for you can count on us being in nashville uh, it's uh, August 13th through 15th if you want to come and join us. So uh, yeah, pencil that in your uh, your 2021 calendar uh, right now. Okay, so if you haven't, please check out the new Bee Gees documentary. Um, we have been promoting that for the, the last few weeks. Um, though if, if you are listening to this uh, particular episode uh, later than 2020, uh, the ad may not uh, be in the pre-roll anymore. Um, well, I, I got a chance to see the film last night. And as the intelligentsia has been bantering about in the news media, it really is good. Poignant, 
uh, gives kudos to the genius and uniqueness uh, to their talent as both singers and songwriters. Uh, their longevity alone is, is worth a look. Um, you know, uh, we here, uh, certainly in rock and roll archaeology, uh, consider disco a part of rock and roll. Uh, uh, we'll get into it when we get to that in uh, in the episodes uh, that, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're not too far away. I mean, we're, we're in 1970 now. So, you know, by 1975, you know, disco uh, is uh, certainly becoming a thing. We will explore that. We will show you why it uh, is a, a part of, of canon uh, in the rock and roll hall of fame in the the pantheon of rock uh and the beaches are a big story uh about that so um if you get a chance please uh you know uh, watch the documentary um finally um we have a a network sponsor i want to tell you about um this is brand new um, Harman Audio, uh, owners of brands like JBL, Crown, Soundcraft, Studer, and AKG, uh, is now working with Pantheon. Um, first up is AKG. Harman has provided each of our hosts on the network with a new AKG microphone called the Lyra. For 70 years, the world's top recording studios and concert stages have relied on AKG microphones to craft today's biggest hits. AKG Lyra brings that legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB microphone that delivers in highest quality audio. It's really important for us. You know, today, everyone has adjusted to higher resolution televisions. Um, The same has got to be done with audio. We're still... You guys are having to listen to me on an MP3. Um, that's 25-year-old technology. It's compressed audio. Uh, we just don't have to to, to, to provide, um, you know, especially music and um, you know, production shows like Rock and Roll Archaeology and others that, that do use, uh, you know, sound effects and, you know, put put a lot of time and effort into the, the quality, the sound quality, only to have it be delivered in MP3. So inside of the AKG Lyra is an advanced circuitry that delivers ultra HD grade audio resolution. That's fantastic. Whether you're recording a podcast interview, your next Spotify single, or you just want to be heard clearly on the next virtual meeting, you know, like Zoom, uh, Lyra's innovative AKG capsule array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. With this AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your level of experience. It just works right out the box, plug and play, USB. Uh, and that's another beautiful thing about it And uh, is that, you know, right now I use a, a high quality microphone that then goes into a interface box that then USBs into my computer. This thing goes right into the computer. No need for an interface box. I think that's just amazing. Um, create and capture your music, podcast, and videos with class leading audio quality by legendary AKG Acoustic Engineering. From the comfort of your home, or the comfort of my studio. Um, I just got mine. I'm looking at the box right now, uh, and I will be hooking it up. Uh, and so the next uh, Deeper Digs, which will be with Wadi Wachtel, uh, let's see if you guys can tell the difference. Um, certainly in the the opening and, uh, and closing. Uh, I did the interview with the, with the microphone I'm using right now. Um, so I'll give you my review in, in the next show. All right, so that's the business, except to say... <laughs> 
that our evil genius plan of being careful with advertising is beginning to pay off. Um, we appreciate uh, you guys, um, you know, allowing us this opportunity. You know, we, we, we have to figure out a way to pay for the shows. And we, for five years, have kind of eschewed uh, advertisers um, unless it worked specifically to the wants and desires of you guys, our listeners. We didn't want to just sell mattresses or email survey solutions or, or stamps. You know, we wanted to try and work with commercial entities that are a little more in line with our listeners' desires and wants. We, you know, we're about music. So uh, brands that traditionally work in the music space seems more productive for us, for the clients, and mostly for you. So I hope you guys agree with that assessment and you see what we're, we're doing here. Or, you know, if you think about the ads and the promotions that we've been doing, um, you know, a rock documentaries, uh, uh, ticketing, uh, you know, um, it will get into some lifestyle uh, stuff that fits in the rock and roll world. And we, we hope that we can maintain that as long as possible. So I, I hope you guys agree. All right, that's it. Let's get on with the show. Never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand. So the days float through my eyes, but still the days seem the same. And these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your. Today is about Mr. David Bowie. Uh, in January, um, he will be five years gone. Doesn't he have a song about five years? Gone uh, at only 69. So also in January, January 8th, uh, he would have been 74. Um, I miss him, and I bet you do uh, as well. Uh, as many of you know, uh, he is without doubt my favorite uh, rock and roll artist, uh, the chameleon, Ziggy Stardust, Thin White Duke, Major Tom, the man who sold the world. Um, the thing about Bowie for me uh, is the, the, the fact that he constantly reinvented himself. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to go through the full story um, uh, today uh, other than to say that, uh, you know, he's it's one, it's one of these guys that kind of knew what he wanted but didn't know how to get there. He worked really hard. Uh, throughout the 60s to uh, to gain any sort of fame, constantly moving from, from band to band, uh, uh, trying to find uh, a look and a, and, a, and a sound that was his own. Um, 
obviously he you know hits it big big with uh, his first song space oddity which a lot of people considered a novelty um yeah especially because it you know was made uh, right as men were about to walk on the moon uh for the first time you know we just recently uh, discussed that in our latest uh rock and archaeology um episode um 1969 part two um and uh you know it um uh, it took then it took him another oh three years to again find a formula that worked. Uh, this time, you know, famously as Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars uh, album, he just completely immersed himself into a character uh, and uh, enveloped it uh, this uh, fictional rock star, which um, in itself uh, was quite uh, an interesting uh, send up of uh, of what being a rock star uh, meant. Um, you know, it's a loose concept album, um, but that that definitely got him um, the fame uh, and the respect. Uh, that he'd worked uh, almost 10 years to to achieve. Uh, uh, from there, uh, he did not keep that persona for very long. Uh, by uh, within 18 months, uh, he chucked that uh, famously uh, at the end of uh, the tour. He said, this is it. Um, and he reinvented himself again. Uh, the next iteration that really, you know, has some longevity is the what's called the Thin White Duke period in the mid 70s Philly soul um, and, and that's when he finally uh, got um, big in America uh, you know a lot of people think that Ziggy Stardust was huge in, in, in American it barely made a dent uh, uh, it did very well in the UK um, but it didn't didn't really do much uh, here it wasn't until um, fame in uh, I think 1974 is when you know he finally does get um, some good American radio airplay uh, and starts filling out concert halls cross country things like that by uh, 77, uh, he uh, is a coked out fiend uh, and is, uh, is fearful that, uh, you know, he's going to end up uh, a dead rock star. And so he decamps uh, from Los Angeles and moves to Berlin and uh, creates three um, very interesting um, albums that basically <laughs> sets up the 1980s, uh, not just for himself, but for... Uh, a lot of genres um, that come about afterwards. Um, you know, those three albums at the time, commercial flops, uh, you know, Low, uh, Heroes, uh, and um, Lodger. And, um, and then he begins to come back. Uh, and in the early 80s, uh, you know, he finds the commercial formula, uh, mostly working with um, uh, Nile Rodgers of Chic, uh, the Let's Dance album is mega platinum. It's uh, that uh, y y you d you don't get to be much bigger uh, than uh, than David Bowie did in the in the early eighties. Uh, and uh, and then after a few years of that, he decides to chuck David Bowie <laughs> and try to be a a a, a band, a, 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 just a member in a band called Tin Machine. Um, I liked it. Uh, I know it didn't go over very well. I can understand why it was a bit confusing for uh, the public at large. Uh, but it, it, to me, it was it was a, a great experiment. Uh, and uh, I got to see the band and they were awesome. Um, you know, in the 90s, um, while his star wanes a little bit, 
He does gain, you know, some interesting followers. Trent Reznor, uh, Nine Inch Nails is obviously one who works with a lot of interesting people. Um, you know, of course, there's the film work and all of that we can talk to. Uh, in uh, 2003, um, he begins his last tour, the reality tour, of which, again, I got to see. Um, uh, suffered a heart attack on stage and retired. Uh, just didn't do anything until 2013 when he showed up literally secretly with a new album called The Next Day. And then in 2016, um, he created Black Star, the, the last album, um, which uh, I'll leave this to the end. Uh, I'll come back and, and, and talk about that. All right, let's talk about the book. Uh, it is called David Bowie Icon, um, and it is published by ACC Arts Books. It is an incredibly big, beautiful piece of work here. It's filled with photos. by, And, and this is what I think is really cool about this. The book is from many photographers, not a single photographer. You know, we've talked to Mick Rock, who did a lot of Bowie's photography, uh, and we've talked to others as well. But this has got 353 pages, and it is 25 photographers um, through his life. Uh, that, and there's, there's sort of this chronology to, to the book. It's not totally done chronologically but but it is basically you know going through the early period uh to these later and later and later periods it, so it captures the 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 change of the man uh and you know what was going on around him uh and Bowie was always game for whatever a photographer wanted to do uh and so there's a lot of uniqueness to it it's just not the same old shots of the same four guys against a wall looking like badasses you know or whatever their motif and genre specific look is supposed to be you know uh like we said the, the guy just changed up his uh look and feel over and over again and you know again why is he my favorite artist because he did that so so many times and isn't that what art is supposed to do isn't that what the great artists did they had these various periods they moved from period to period they bored and tried to change up their their structure and so we see that in in this book uh, and like I said, I mean, it is beautifully presented. You can't get it uh, any better than the way ACC Arts Books did. So today, they came to me and said, hey, you can interview anybody you want. And I looked at this, and I, I didn't want to just pick one of the photographers. I, I talked to several of them anyway uh, in the past. So what I wanted to talk to was the the project editor. Uh, her name is Carrie Kanya, because let's face it, she's the one that had to do all the work, oh, you know, grab all those photographs, get together with her team and really dive down and figure out, you know, which are the ones that would would fit. So that is what we have for you today is Carrie Kanya to talk about how to put a book like this together in general and, of course, specifically with this Bowie Icon coffee table book. So let's get to it. Let's uh, get to meet uh, Carrie. She will walk us through uh, the process. It's really fun and interesting, and I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to her about that. All right. Without further ado, here is Carrie Kanya.
Welcome to Deeper Digs, Carrie Kanye. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? We're fantastic. Um, you are uh, in London. Uh, we are in the United States. How yes. are things in London? Lon- London calling. London, London is calling. London, yes. call- London is uh, London is swinging again. London is is great. A lot of activity on the streets. Um, you know, they do use the phrase "keep calm and carry on," and that yes. is that is very true right now. <laughs> um, but we're trying to keep our distance. Yeah. But, we're st- but we're still drinking at the pub. Well, how are you doing during the age of COVID? And, uh, you know, how's the pandemic affected the book publishing business, if at all? Well, I, I, I called the David Bowie book my lockdown project, really. It's, oh. it's, um, you know, it, most of it was done um, in terms of the editing and the photo selection, uh, working from home in my kitchen. So... Uh, it, nice. was, it, it was not a bad way to spend my lockdown was looking at imagine. thousands of photos of David. <laughs> um, okay. So why does the world need another big, beautiful coffee table book on a past rock and roll star? Well, you know, we thought that there's been so many amazing books published about David Bowie on David Bowie the visuals of David Bowie, but there wasn't one book that had all the photos as well as the stories. So you can buy brilliant books by Mick Rock or Terry O'Neill or Dennis O'Regan, et cetera. But what we wanted to do was to create the ultimate one single volume of some of the greatest and most iconic images of David Bowie ever produced. We wanted to show some of the greatest hits, some of the ones that everybody knows, some of the ones that we all had on our walls, but then to surprise people with some of the outtakes or a contact sheet or a little bit more of a behind the scene. And then we asked each photographer to write an introduction to their work. Mm-hmm. So you not only have the 25 photographers' works, but you've got 25 memories of, of their moment with David and whether that was one day or a lifetime. And I, 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 I love reading the book. I mean, as much as I could look at the photos all day, the text, I always read something new in the text that I maybe, you know, under the, under the, the stress of editing, you don't catch, but then I read, I go back and I look at what Ray Stevenson talked about or Vernon Dewhurst or even John Scarisbrick who worked with uh, Bowie later on in, in the mm-hmm. late 2000s. And, um, you know, it's quite touching. It's really, it's, there's, everyone has such a fond memory and such a fond, you know, stories and, and funny stories and charming stories and how he would just, you know, you would pick up the phone and it was David Bowie on the phone. And, and by that time, you know, David was the biggest star in the world, but, the fact that he still reached out and, and talked to people that he knew from the beginning. I mean, I, I think he meant the world to a lot of people and he especially meant the world to the people who actually got to know him. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the rock and roll book publishing business going these days? Is, is there still a lot of disruption or, you know, or you know, have you guys settled and, you know, and, and now there's a, you know, a, a, a definite future uh, out there. 
um, you know, uh, you know, we're we, we're all living in disruptive times. Uh, we've seen the music industry uh, uh, disrupted, and many others uh, along with it, uh, due to um, you know the internet and and what it has brought uh, or wrought, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. But I think. In terms of book publishing, I think what you get when you purchase an, an actual physical book is that you're getting the photographer's selection, you're getting the photographer's view, you're getting the photographer's preferred way to show that image. And sometimes I think when you go online, you're often flooded with copies or crops or flips or the outtakes that maybe they don't really like or they didn't want shown. So I feel when you publish a, a book, whether it be music or fashion or anything, um, you're getting something of quality. And, I, and, and a book like this, it's a keepsake. It's something that you, you put on your table and you flip through and you look at it. And I think now as we, we perhaps put even more focus and concentration and effort in making our homes um, be a better place for us to live and now work in many ways. I want to be surrounded by my heroes when I work. I want to be, I want to look behind my shoulder and see a Mark Bolin. I want to, you know, I want to be surrounded by inspiring visuals. And that's what books do for me. And just so our listeners know, I'm looking over your shoulder and seeing a book of Mark Bolin right there. So, um, all right. So uh, please tell our diggers what a publishing director does exactly. Well, it's exactly that. I, I direct the publishing. So I'm lucky enough to work with uh, over 30 photographers uh, that we represent at Iconic Images. And so I've got a really strong base already of, of imagery that I can pull from. And so using that gives us the access and, and the sort of the credibility for me to go outside that 30 and pull in the Mick Rocks or the Lynn Goldsmith or the Ray Stevenson to, to ask them to be part of this project. So I kind of concept ideas. I brainstorm around with what will the world want to buy? What do we need? What do we need to be doing? And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I get to look through millions of photos and, and I look at photos all day. It's not, not a bad gig, really. That's a great job. It's and a great gig. <laughs> so uh, how did you get chosen to lead this uh, immense book assignment? Well, the, the, after David Bowie's passing, our photographer, Terry O'Neill, mm -hmm. uh, who sadly passed away last year, yeah. Um, said to me, a giant, uh, giant. I, I believe and, and, uh, uh, a knight, I believe a knight as, as a matter of fact, yeah. he is, uh, he, he was a, uh, a wonderful man and very humble. And, uh, you know, he started with the Beatles in 63 and, uh, and it was still only up from there. I mean, uh, Terry's archive is, is massive. And that goes from yeah, the if you have Beatles uh, in your resume anywhere, you pretty much have made it. I mean, <laughs> Terry, Terry was on stage with Elton John at the Dodger Stadium. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, Featured prominently in Rocket Man. Yes. Yes. He, well, yes. And Terry said to me, uh, you know, I have a lot of David Bowie photos. So I went to the archive and I pulled out box after box after box. And I was astounded at how 
much and how often Terry O'Neill worked with David Bowie. And that is from the Marquee Club in October 1973 to the famed yellow mustard suit portrait setting to the iconic diamond dog where the dog is jumping up at the camera. Mm -hmm. And then Terry also did the David Bowie posing as the dog that then Guy Pilart would use to paint the album cover. Yeah, the, uh, the open, the open, uh, as you. So that's up modeled the, uh, on sleep. a Terry yeah. O'Neill mm -hmm. photo. Uh -huh. And then when David Bowie met Elizabeth Taylor, when David Bowie met William Burroughs. Yeah, yeah, those pictures are included in the book. Mm -hmm. A lot of stage. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And so we, Terry and I did a, a big book of his archive on David Bowie. And that was terrific. I mean, it was a terrific success. And we, the events were always very heartwarming and, and fans would come and talk to Terry about what was he like. I mean, we were so fresh off that shocking news of losing David. That yes, think, it was shocking news. It was, it, yeah. it was, uh, it was unexpected. It was, a, you know, it was front page news here. I mean, it was crying on the street level in London. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. 
And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And now back to the program. Yeah, to me, it was the closest thing of, uh, you know, you hear about the, you know, the JFK assassination, which is, you know, predates, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, well, my consciousness, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was alive, but my consciousness of, of that. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, as, 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 as our diggers and you, you know, you know, he had just released an album three days beforehand. And, uh, for me, the experience was I had devoured the album, listened to it most of the weekend, you know, had begun to formulate uh, my concepts of what each song meant, uh, you know, because there's always so much uh, uh, insight and subtext to, to every Bowie song. Yeah. And so, you know, you begin to kind of uh, develop a, a theory of like, oh, yeah, Black Star, okay. And, and I, oh, I, I can see, oh, he, oh, look, he's going back to Major Tom here. It's a, you know, you could see a lot of these things. I can't remember if it's that album or the previous one um, where uh, yeah. a NASDAQ song uh, from, from Clockwork mm. uh, Orange is in. But, um, you know, and so you have this, this idea. And then, you know, three days later, the, the news arrives and the whole album totally changes meaning overnight. overnight. I've never experienced that before overnight. in my life. I've, it, it was, it was, it meant this piece of art meant one thing and now it means something completely different. It's, you know, and I, I know and have read that there was some um, uh, insistence in this or, or some, um, some um, uh, the, not articulation, uh, uh, it's uh, um, some intent uh, to, to, to that. And, you know, if you're going to go out, I guess this is a, a way to go out, huh? A way to go. I mean, what a, what a perfect, what a perfect ending in many ways. You just, you know, you, yeah. you let your final project, your art out and then you're out. Yeah. yeah. So you, you did do a book uh, about uh, Bowie uh, with O'Neill. With um, O'Neill. With prior to, to this, yeah. you know, but beyond that, what was your relationship and understanding of David Bowie? Well, I knew, I mean, I, I, he was the first were you an early fan or? Yeah, and the, and it, it really was the first poster on the wall for me. Really? And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it must have been, you know, I, it was maybe uh, late 70s, I would think, is when so maybe the that Berlin, the Berlin period. Maybe. Uh, I wish maybe I, that, I, low, yeah. that low poster, uh, a lot of people had that. Yeah, and I, w- I wish I, re- I could remember exactly why or how or where I got that poster because one went up and then, you know, a few days later, a hundred more when I've got, <laughs> you know, I figured out, oh, I can, I can hang posters up. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I was lucky to see, see David Bowie and, um, in the 80s when he was doing the um serious moonlight oh 
Yeah, yeah that's the the uh, the peak of his commercial career. And that you know, I mean that to see to see him live. I mean, uh, you know, I, w- I I saw every every gig that could come through town. I went mm-hmm. um, because that's what you did. I mean, we yeah. you know there weren't we weren't sitting at home looking at fifty TV channels. We had the three, and yep. so we went out. Yeah. Um, those were the days. The good old days. <laughs> good old days when we didn't have phones. Yeah. We we didn't know how to meet somebody. You you made a date. You set a time, and they they should they should show up. Yeah, they, they yeah. Uh, hopefully they should show up. Yeah, yes, so. and the and the old the um, waiting outside for tickets. Mm. We're lining up the night before. It was an event. Well, yeah, it was a it was a, a communal uh, event. It was. Uh, you know, I think uh, you would agree that, uh, like, uh, like, like me. Uh, you know, this is the closest to church I ever, ever really got. You know, well, this, it, this was my spirituality. It was, it was a, uh, for for us, for me, and and my little my little gang. It was a, it was a community. It was like minded people in a small town mm-hmm. who wanted to stay up all night to make sure they got a ticket to a certain concert. Yeah, and it was. I remember as clear as day. It was Mainstream Records is the the outlet that we waited outside all night to go buy a David mm-hmm. Bowie ticket, mm-hmm. or or any of the bands that would would you know find their way through my town. Um, and so I you know, I grew up with David Bowie in many ways, and remember as well on TV is when he appeared with Bing Crosby singing oh, Little Drummer. Drummer Boy. Yeah. And I remember as a, I must have been a kid just being mesmerized by that as much as I was mesmerized when Debbie Harry went on the Muppets. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. I remember, you know, those, those type of cultural touchstones um, mm-hmm. because it, that was what you watched on TV. And so now to come full circle and have the opportunity to work, you know, obviously not with David Bowie, but with people who, knew him either as childhood friends like uh, George Underwood or Jeff McCormack or Vernon Dewhurst who lived with David Bowie. I mean, it's, it's just really quite, quite astounding to, to be involved in, in this sort of project, to see these images in a new light and to, co- and to come into a book that, you know, I think the book is terrific. I mean, it is, it, it is as, as good as I hoped it would be. Well, uh, without giving too much away, um, I, I keep picking it up and going through it. Uh, so I, I, I feel, I think I feel you here. Um, so is, is there a favorite period uh, that that Bowie means to you or a song or, you know, is there, you know, and, and I know that's a hard question because, you know, if somebody asks me today, it may be one thing and if they ask me tomorrow, it may be a different thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, we, we at home, we listen to the albums quite often on vinyl uh, it is it is definitely the a common ground between my husband and I in a sense that we both love David Bowie. So if we're not sure, a what's wonderful going to thing on, to build a relationship on. Yeah, I know it's David Bowie, <laughs> Roxy Music. We've got a few, and that's um, and uh, you know, for I, I I think it's a little bit low. Um, uh, Heroes. Ah, Berlin. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, well, you mentioned you mentioned some punkers mm-hmm. uh, earlier on. You know the 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 Ramones. Uh, 
uh, and um, yeah, so I, that 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 tells me a little bit about you know your age bracket in in rock and roll, uh, and the and let's face it, that that Berlin period harkens. Uh, it, it, it's a clarion call to so much that comes afterwards. The you know the entire new wave and romantic. Um, uh, genres are born out of those three albums yeah yeah Yeah. so uh, I can see where where that um, speaks uh, most to to you and and you know it's funny um, you know those 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 albums were not huge commercial sellers they had some very good uh, critical uh, praise but they were definitely kind of off in their own uh, world and weren't necessarily thought highly culturally at its time. But as you know, the story has come to an end and we've all been able to look back, it does seem more and more like that's the peak Bowie, um, certainly, if yeah. not commercially, I mean, certainly influentially yeah. uh, is that that period there. So mm-hmm. I, I can understand yeah. that. But I think like with all artists, you, you know, you maybe you buy that, that album that's a commercial success, but then you go back to the back catalog mm-hmm. and I started to buy the backlist. I go, you know, yeah. you buy Let's Dance because that's the album at that moment, but then mm-hmm. you go back. And then yeah. you go back and then you figure out Iggy Pop. And then yeah. suddenly you look at Roxy Music. And then Lou Reed and, and then, then Valor uh, Underground. Then, well, and then, you're, and then, yeah, yeah. then it explodes <laughs> and you're onto television. Yeah. And you're, you know, and you're thinking, where was I? You know? Why yeah. Wasn't- and, and, and let's face it, this is a guy who, you know, constantly reinvented himself uh you know is he is the template uh for that you know madonna uh lady gaga there those two would not exist if it wasn't for no. Bowie and what he no. created in no. that period uh of, of uh, the early 70s through uh through through most of the rest of his life certainly until you know i don't know if you got to see the reality tour i, I got to see bowie three times mm-hmm. uh at three very distinct periods in his career and um you know um uh love him to death from the very moment I saw him, um, you know, I, uh, I saw him uh, on Don Kirshner's rock concert uh, 1973. Um, you know, I'm probably 12 years old. And to me, there is a rock and roll space alien. That's what I want to be done. Uh, and, uh, you know, was had a fan for there. But each time I saw Bowie, there was a it was interesting. It was um, it, 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 it was definitely a character until the last tour, that reality tour. Mm. I, I walked away going, oh my God, I feel like I really saw the real mm. David Bowie this yeah, time. Yeah. You know? Well, that's so, what, you know, Terry O'Neill would say that. He he said that he treated David like an actor. Yeah. So when yeah. he was on stage, when, when Terry was shooting Bowie on stage, he looked at it like it was a stage performance. Mm-hmm. And that that was, you know, when you see the, the Hamlet-like you know, with the skull. I mean, that yeah, is cracked the, act, cracked actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theatrical. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he, he he picked up on all that. I mean, obviously, the Lindsey Camp mime uh, period uh, helped uh, develop that. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's face it, the English have always been uh, and understood that uh, theater is theater. It depend doesn't 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 matter what what you're doing. You know, you're you're putting on a show. The American rockers always tried to find some sort of authenticity. Uh, and I think that's a big break between, uh, you know, those that, that understood, no, <laughs> this is show business as opposed to, and, 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 and in some ways. there's space for that. I mean, there is. Yeah, there, there is. Oh, definitely for both. Yeah. No, with, without doubt. But, uh, but I think, I think it's those that understood that this was a professional, uh, process, um, 
uh, fared better survivably than yeah. those who tried to turn it into some sort of authentic uh, nature uh, that you'd pull out uh, on stage uh, for, for two hours a night. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the process and how um, this is different and or similar to books uh, that you've done in the past. Well, this is by, by far the most ambitious project that we've done. Normally, we'll do one photographer, four photographers, maybe six. Mm. Uh, so yeah, last 25 year, here. Yeah, yeah, 25, and I could have been a thousand. I mean, at some yeah. point we had to stop. <laughs> um, but uh, so we made a short list. So a, a group of us just sat down and wrote all separately a list of our dream photographers and then matched it to see where we overlapped. And that's that was our A list. And that's who yeah. we went after. Mm -hmm. how, so how big was the team? It was four of us. Four. Okay, so there was four uh, submissions to the list. And so, uh, so then, uh, yeah, those that lined up the best, uh, you went after first. Right. If all four of us said the same name, they, mm -hmm. they moved to the next round. <laughs> ah, a And then I went, I went top down. I went one by one. Will you please be a part of this project? Well, who was the first photographer the Icon team contacted and secured? Sukita. Sukita, okay. okay. Yeah, I, I, it just, it felt he was going to be, uh, it, he had to be in that book. He had to be in just for his oh, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He, it's, it, it is definitely uh, one of the, the, the more fun sections, uh, you know, I, and I was glad you were able to include uh, Masayoshi Sakita because Japan plays such a large part in the Bowie evolution. You know, let's face it, the guy was a bit of a collector in the manner of like a decorator crap, mm. you know, where he, he goes and finds these pieces and just sticks them, up, sticks them on his back somewhere. Uh, and, and while in the 1970s, you know, this look that was created seems alien, we now know a lot of that inspiration came from uh, Japanese artists and Japanese designers, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's fascinating that now we are, we are looking back at that and the fashion of Bowie and the fashion of what he wore and how. And what I really appreciate about his work is the color. I mean, the color is is so vibrant vibrant oh, yes. yeah you know i mean i, I we we work a bit on a, um some Jimi hendrix uh archives and for the most part the Jimi hendrix images that i have are black and white mm -hmm. but once in a while i'll one will sneak in in color and you forget how vibrant the clothing ha was back in the late 60s and early 70s the yeah. yellows and the reds and the purples. And then Bowie took it that next step with the makeup and the hair and the orange and the platforms and the, you know, the kimono-like inspiration that he went to Japan with and came out with. And, and yeah. that's why I felt his participation that we needed to have that sign off before I could go to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Very so good. as soon as he, as soon as he said yes, the rest followed.
It, oh, so it's kind of like uh, when uh, when uh, uh, you know, like Ken Burns did his Vietnam um, uh, documentary, and you know, it's filled with uh, with you know some of the greatest songs of all time. And when asked, uh, you know, how did you accomplish this, which you know notoriously is difficult to achieve with copyright and working with all these artists, and he said, well, you just go to the Beatles, and if the Beatles say yeah, then everybody else falls in line. <laughs> but it's true. As long you know, as soon as you have that one key name that everyone loves and respects yeah they think well this must be i have to be a this, part of this this must yeah. be a great project if yeah. he's involved yeah so why did you choose to have david's lifelong friend george underwood a painter not a photographer to provide the uh, introduction for a book of photographers you know it was it was a big debate it was a that was it's a great question because we did not know who to go ask and we needed to ask somebody who had some authority, who would speak mm. from some sort of a, a position of knowledge. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, um, two super fans, Gary Duckworth and Jim Reap, emailed me and said, we have heard you're doing this book. And I said, yes, it's true. I'll let you know when it's on sale. I said, oh, it's fantastic, fantastic. And then I said, you know, by the way, uh -huh. who would you want to introduce this book? And I gave them a short list of here are the five people. And they said, no, 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 George Underwood. And really? I, Both of them together said uh, unprompted. Unprompted uh, the, yeah. and said that is who you go to because he is an artist himself. Mm-hmm. He knew David Bowie. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, for his as entire life. As well as life. just about anybody. Yeah. As well as, yeah. And, and it is a real sort of connection. Mm -hmm. And he will speak to the work from a place of knowledge. And I thought, you know what? That I think they're absolutely right. I think so. I thank Gary and Jim for um, recommending George to us. Point, pointing you in the right direction. Okay. So who are the other five? No, oh, I can't say that. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to tell you that. I had to ask. Uh, I figured that would be the be the case. Um, uh, were you because it's, I mean, it is a tough question because you could go. Yeah. Oh. You get. Yeah. You know. Do you get a filmmaker? Do you get another photographer? Do you get a writer? Do you get an author? I mean, you could have got another yeah, musician. But yeah, I didn't. Dunk, it wasn't his son Duncan, who is you know taking uh, some control over his legacy. Yeah. On, obviously, uh, might yeah. be uh, uh, an option. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. To to your point, there's there is a lot of people. I mean, to be able to just narrow it down to five, I think was pretty good to begin with. So yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, but George does make uh, make a lot of sense um, because he you know he knew david as long as just about anybody else still alive right um so uh and they retained that connection throughout uh their lives yeah um so and I, that's I why i mean that's why i thought it was so important to have jeff mccormick participate in the book mm -hmm. be because i felt like jeff's connection and memories and photography is, is just another visually uh, another visual example of, of a friendship and and of how close that Jeff and David were throughout the, the their entire lives and I thought having then George and Jeff participate in the book you know it just it just felt really real mm -hmm. 
So how disappointed were you that you couldn't find early photographs of, uh, of him? I mean, you know, other than the few that you get from the Conrads, uh, you know, yeah, there's not a lot of photography from the early days. I think there's a few pictures of him with his family when he's a child and, and not much definitely when he was a teenager and, and a developing person. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't want this to be a, photo a photographic biography. Right. So we you, didn't, you want to stick with the professional photographers. And that and that is what what this book is. It's a, a photographer, a professional photographer's viewpoint on one subject. Yeah, and which that, really was, is yeah. yeah, 67 is kind of when those photographs uh, begin. Uh, and I yeah, think uh, Gerald, with Gerald uh, Fernley. Fernley, which yeah, was, is which the, was the only, Fernley. you know, that was just a luck where Gerald's brother happened to be playing backup. Yeah, in the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where I said, do you know comes. any photographers? And said, my brother takes photos. And, yeah. and Gerald, he was he was a, a, a still life photographer. So his primary work was shooting Book of the Month Club. So he mm -hmm. would just do book, photo, book, photo all day long. And so David was a real, was one of his first people that he ever, um, he ever took a photo of. Well, let's face it, uh, 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 Mr. Bowie was quite the bookworm uh, mm. himself. He probably liked yeah. the idea yeah. that he was going to have a photographer who worked with books all day long. But uh, I, love, I love those early shots because it does look like a still life. I mean, they are yeah. very, they're very unique in, in terms of the rest of the book. And that, that's, yeah, that's how, well, that's it, why we wanted to start it off that way. Yeah, and it is, it's, it's the, the definitely the most fresh faced David Bowie uh, uh, period uh, that there ever will be. Um, uh, you know, completely uh, unformed, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, except, you know, what is interesting is the, the, the uh, photos in my makeup, mm. uh, you know, which invokes the Lindsay Kemp uh, period that uh, I think is around that same time he is uh, he's working with the the mime troupe on 66 yeah, 67 yeah, yeah. so it's the it's the first sort of character we are are introduced to uh, yeah. that we know that that there's a whole slew of characters that are coming yes that something is brewing here so he, he goes from that very straightforward portrait to starting to put on a little a little face makeup a little mm. mime makeup yeah. and then that takes you right to the next step yeah, yeah, he, he he's always searching um, mm. for for this this um, this persona. It, it, it's it's a very interesting process that he's going through. That that his contemporaries aren't doing so. Uh, they're just becoming themselves and trying to solidify their position uh, in the rock and roll world, which is let's face it, just being formed uh, at that uh, particular uh, time. And I don't know, he's almost like a restless soul, just constantly uh, trying to find some next thing. And, let, you know, as we know, uh, you know, his road to success was a difficult one. I mean, he, he was working, uh, you know, 10 years before he achieved any um, success. I mean, uh, definitely eight years before Space Oddity came out, which was in 1969, uh, uh, thought of as a bit of a, of a, a kitsch song, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and then, you know, you don't really hear from him um, uh, in any significant way until Ziggy Stardust in 1973. So that, that's a long period. And, and during the ensuing years, he is trying different things, firing people, hiring people, uh, until 
he hits on, you know, that, um, you know, obvious uh, persona that, you know, uh, the world could gravitate to this uh, uh, gender bending space alien, uh, which was uh, certainly a, um, you know, quite uh, the shock uh, at, at its time. Well, I, I was I was lucky enough to be friends with a photographer named Lee Black Childers. So Lee was uh, part of the Andy Warhol crew, mm, and, the, and the Lee, in the factory. Mm. yeah, and um, mm. and took photos of of Jackie Curtis and Candy Darling, and okay. uh, uh, but then also did uh, Johnny Thunders and New York Dolls, Iggy Pop, Debbie Harry, etc. But Lee told me that when the Warhol crew came to London to do the play Pork, mm -hmm. uh, David Bowie was in the audience every night. No surprise. He did write a song called Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. So. <laughs> but I think that was 71, 72, if memory serves. So it's interesting yeah. that he was, and that's where, where I, I believe, I'm assuming that that's where David met Jerry Vanilla and yeah. uh, became part of the main man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the book is sort of presented in chronological order, though not exactly. Uh, no, but loose. How and why did you lay it out this way? Well, we wanted a loose journey for the reader. So they could go from the earliest years up until the last shoot that we were able to obtain. Mm -hmm. And so some of the photographers, because they worked with, with David Bowie for, for so many decades, you know, we, we kind of chose where we felt they placed best chronologically within the text. So yeah. like a, a Kevin Cummins, for example, whose earliest work was Ziggy Stardust, but then went on to work with David Bowie several times after up until what mid nineties. And in fact, it's Kevin's photo of Let's Dance the Graffiti that appeared in front of David Bowie's flat in New York. That's the last image of the book. Yeah, it's it's not a photo of him, it's it's well, a it's photo a, ab, a, a, about him. It's yeah, it's a tribute. Yeah, yeah very yeah. interesting. So I didn't know Kevin uh, took that photo. Yeah, uh, yeah. As well, Kevin's so. got a terrific archive. I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of of what's hidden in the Kevin Cummins. Well, when you work for NME that long, uh, of course, you're going to have a, a large uh, 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 legacy uh, to, yeah. to go through. Yeah, uh, but he's always taking photos. He's so he's not just focusing on the on the bands and on the work, but he's, you know, he's he's out there looking for other things to uh, to snap to capture. So, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Great photographer. So Oh God, yeah, yeah. I had the chance to talk to Kevin. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so, so each photographer was uh, very involved in the process uh, of the layout and their individual uh, sections. How how did that process go? Once they agreed to be part of the process, um, I asked each photographer to present us with their selection of images. Mm -hmm. And then we would go, we would look at the images and make a few suggestions or edits. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, if, if we had three or four people doing the same tour, I didn't want, uh, yes. yeah. you know, so I didn't want too much overlap within the archives. Mm -hmm. And, and then when we laid out the book, the photographers approved every page, every layout, move this to the left, no, make that a double page. So they were very involved in their own chapter's design. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And then they either wrote or we helped them write the introduction to their chapter. So once the chapter was done, then they looked at it and handed in the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so and each the, well, chapter and is a mini book in a weird sort of way. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you introduce uh, the photographer usually with an interview, and some some of the photographers have passed. Uh, and uh, I think uh, actually you you talked to um, the son of one of the photographers, if I remember correctly, uh, to to get the background on uh, on his father's work. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, but yeah, there's there's you know you introduce this photographer and their relationship with David Bowie in, in just, a, you know, a few short, quick paragraphs. Uh, and then, you know, then we present uh, the, the, the photos themselves. So who was the most fun to talk to? Uh, that is very difficult to answer. The, it was a real honor to work with Steve Shapiro. Um, I've been a longtime admirer of his work. Uh, he's, he's, phenomenal photographer. Um, so that was, that was for me a personal joy uh, because he's, you know, a legend. Uh, I think the most fun was John Scarisbrook because that <laughs> was, it, those were just the most unusual visuals that I, that we came across. Uh, and they were so different to what came before that hearing about his work and his process and the, and the, and he had such good memories about the details of working with David Bowie on this specific project that I, mm -hmm. I just, I felt his enthusiasm and I felt his, oh, it was great. You know, I mean, I, you just, you kind of felt that real joy come back to, oh my God, yeah, that was amazing, you know. He literally was reliving the experiences uh, right there while you were talking to him. Completely, completely. Mm -hmm. And that that mm -hmm. felt great, you know, because a lot of those images, he, you know, he wasn't really looking at them. You know, he's a working photographer. It's about the job and what's coming up tomorrow and next week. Do I have jobs lined up next month? You know, when you're uh, when you're a working photographer, you're not looking back and you're, Archive. No, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're working. So yeah. You're, yeah. You should have an intern that does that for you. Right? Yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> Work experience. Well, I can I can see why you picked Shapiro because uh, he did take the uh, the cover of Low, uh, which we've already established as one of your favorites. So but he uh, but he also did Midnight Cowboy. He did yeah, Taxi yeah. Driver. I mean, yeah. he was at yeah. Selma. I mean, yeah. Shapiro's archive. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I bet that was a real exciting uh, time for you. Uh, who shocked you the most? Well, I don't think anyone shocked me because we were already very aware of what visuals we were to go after. So yeah. when because when we chose the, the, the photographers, we knew, well, we have to have that shot. We have to, you mm -hmm. know, that's the one we want. So we're like with, with uh, Sukita, we needed heroes. Yeah. So that's yeah the cover know. the cover of heroes right right yeah right, yeah right, I mean right. Mick Rock could have I mean obviously Mick Rock has done his own <laughs> phenomenal book let's face it the 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 rock star of all photographers well, I mean the guy should have been a rock star himself you know he he, he is a rock star I think I mean they're, they're, he's not named Rock on accident yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I think and also um, the two others that shocked me what well, shocked is not but. I was really happy to 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 get into the book was Lynn Goldsmith, mm -hmm. who is 
phenomenal. I mean, talk, uh, there's another archive where, you know, her, her earliest work up until what she's doing today. I mean, she's, she's a terrific photographer and, and, um, so I was really thrilled to have her, but then it was Andrew Kent. Um, and he, he took, when you, when you, if you ask what's my favorite photo, I'm going to tell you it is on page. If I can read the page numbers. Yeah, I can't ever. Oh, here we go. Oh, I know. It's the, it's a Bowie at the party in Paris. Oh, uh, the, with the birthday cake. With the birthday cake. So page 196, 97, I think. And I, I just, I love that shot. I love everything about that photo. Because it, it, could, it could be anybody. Yeah, I, 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 it's, an, it's an incredibly dense photo. Uh, there's, there's a lot so going much on. going on. Mm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a mirror in the background that gives you the perspective of the photographer shooting, but also these other characters uh, that are in there. Um, uh, and you, can, and you sure know that's who... Iggy. I mean, that's Iggy standing up. Oh, Iggy standing up. Yeah. Definitely. But he's, you know, you only know if you know, you know, because yeah, he's yeah, kind of yeah. cut off. It's, all, it's cut off. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I just, I just, it's, you just want to sit right down in that, in that shot and be a part of that moment. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That would be a fun party to, I, uh, that to would attend. Be a fun party <laughs> to attend. So I, I love the photos from Ray Stevenson's section, especially with the band Feathers. Uh, you know, David then with uh, girlfriend uh, Hermione Farthingale, probably the most English name I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Uh, looking such the British Peter, Paul, and Mary. But one photo sticks out, and it's the one with Bowie wearing a wig. I know. So strange, isn't it? You know, it's funny you say Ray. Ray came in the office uh, on Monday, and I, I never met him before. And, and you know, I, feel, I don't know what to expect, Ray Stevenson. I mean, Ray Stevenson took photos of the Jimi Hendrix experience at the Marquee Club. I yeah, mean, that's, the first, the first, uh, the, the the coming out party, basically. But but he Ray said he uh, uh, he went to the marquee just to have a cup of tea, and the guy said, "Oh, there's a new band over there doing sound check. You should go check them out." And it was Jimi Hendrix. So, <laughs> you know that the Ray's got a thousand stories, and he you know he was with the Sex Pistols and Susie Sue, and so then to to see these sort of very um, Beatlesque photos of, of Bowie, and then that last one with that crazy wig. Yeah, I mean, it's just—it's just great. It's great to surprise people. That was a surprise. That you know, you're going through. Oh, oh, hey, there's, oh, there's uh, Farthingale. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, wait, what's the, what's the wig? But even <laughs> because that, it just that... doesn't—it doesn't fit the the persona of what they're trying to sell. It's such a bad uh, wig. You know, I mean, if you're going to wear a wig, girl, come on, you got to check, check the wig. But my, my right. love, but earlier in the Ray Stevenson chapter, the one where he is looking, David is performing in front of maybe 15 people. And it's yeah, with the, the guitar down on, on his, by his feet. Uh, I mean, there. that yeah. is anywhere USA in a university town that is open mic night. I've been there, been there, done that. Uh, yeah, I know it well. You're so. throwing the change in the guitar <laughs> case. And then I love the one of him eating the hamburger. 
you know, I mean, oh, yeah. they're really great. I mean, Ray's, Ray's great. And the, these were, um, these were great to get. And and I think kind of sets the book off in a nice tone as well. Cause you go from Fernley, who's very studio to Ray, where suddenly Bo is on stage. Yeah. I, I, I could go over these pictures time and again, because it is filled with so much variety uh, with an opportunity to read so much into these photos. It's not just Bowie the rock star, or Bowie is Bowie or Ziggy or Thin White Duke, uh, etc. cetera. Um, there is a fair amount of David Jones in the book as well. I think that's true. I think that's, that's very true because I think off stage, you, I think that the book has enough balance where you get the on-stage persona, you get the on-camera, you get the performer, then you get backstage goofing off, having a party in the pub. I mean, you get that real, what it was like. What you know, what what was he like just to hang out with? The the one photo that really hit me was uh, by Brian Aris, mm. and that's with David and his just-born daughter Lexi on his chest with the view of the New York skyline in the distance. So humanizing and sad. But it's, it's such a beautiful photo. I mean, that could mm. be any father with any baby. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, there, there's just such a warmth and an intimacy and it's just such a loving moment in the book. And that's why we also put it by itself we didn't mm -hmm. want to put anything else around it because it just needed its own space to breathe moment. You need a moment yeah. with that before yeah. you can turn the next page or go back. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It, uh, you know, even just thinking about it, uh, you know, conjures up, uh, you know, emotional, you know, questions of, you know, we live in a world without David Bowie. That's, that sucks. That's, <laughs> I don't understand it's all been that. downhill ever since. <laughs> It sure has. It's, I have a theory that, uh, that you know, uh, 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 this is a joke, of course, that, uh, you know, our, our, our current troubles began with, uh, you know, his passing on January 10th, uh, 2016. Uh, he himself was keeping the universe in balance. And now that he's gone, we're all out of balance. It's all, it's all gone to shit. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It has. We all know that uh, the man is the original rock and roll chameleon, um, taking a crown from Little Richard uh, in in some ways. Um, uh, but uh, you know, we have all, all have our favorite characters or periods. I, I think we've kind of established it, but I, I just want to make sure. I think it's that that Berlin era is that is that to you what really means the most or, is, or does it change day by day i think it changes i mean I, musically that's the album i go to the most mm -hmm. i mean but visually there's nothing more visual than the ziggy years yeah just yeah. you know the, the insanity of the, of the oh the, the clothing the costuming no, uh, yeah, no. the the makeup uh you the, know, the band itself the shoes yeah I mean, yeah yeah you yeah. know even even when he's barefoot it, the shoes are amazing. I mean, it's just—I <laughs> don't know how he balanced on some of those platforms. Yeah, yeah. Or just you know, like you mentioned, uh, barefoot. Um, you know, just that length of his body. No, that crazy Sukita shot again. Oh my gosh! And he's practically just, naked on stage, and you got yeah. Nick Bronson in the back. 
But Bowie yeah. is just strong. In his poor little out. Lord Fortnoy uh, uh, outfit, uh, yeah. you know, hearkening to Louis the Fourteenth or something like that. So that all, a- all fantastic, beautiful periods of of creativity uh, and excitement. Uh, you know, you mentioned the the, the vivid colors that existed oh, back then, and you know, we do. We kind of live in a muted world these days, don't we? And have for for a couple of decades now. Uh, it seems uh, it seems more black and white than 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 full full technicolor well and and, you know i mean you talk about little richard but i think the thing about david bowie that maybe we're not getting today is that i i don't don't know if i'm seeing an evolution of an artist as much as i did even just looking at the past on david bowie to where he ended up is is that the changes it is literally the different personas the different looks and the hair and the style and Suddenly he's going to do movies or he's going to do stage or he's going to be an art collector or he's going to go back on tour. It's that, you know, that he was so well-rounded where today I feel like we say we see the same visual and the same type of music and the same video and the same performance with more money thrown at it than sometimes taste or creativity. It's a very interesting thought. Uh, I don't believe you're far off uh, on that. Um, You could, uh, it's unfortunate that we've got to this period where, yeah, you you quickly get put into a box. And if you think you can get out of that box, it's very, very difficult. Very few artists have been able to do that. We get very little crossover uh, nowadays uh, where, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, if, you know, let's, you know, pick the man himself, you know, uh, it is not far from, you know, glam rock star in 72, 73 to thin white Duke or Philly soul in 74, 75, you know, and that's, that's a, and that's a 180. Uh, you know, yeah. you're not going to yeah. see an artist uh, no. do that uh, these days. I mean, the closest we've gotten in the last 10 years, you know, might be, and I, I hate to say it, but might be Taylor Swift, who, you know, was oh, a, Miley. a country, hey, a country I'm, princess. I'm, I'm, I, all, I'm a huge Miley fan. I'm, I'm all into huge, Miley right now. Yeah. And I have, you know, I, she just did that cover of Heart of Glass. And I was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, total yeah. respect for her for yeah. going or, back. Or, or, or watch her uh, do uh, you know at the uh, the Chris Cornell um, uh, memorial service where she belts out Soundgarden songs and it, it's just yeah she's pretty she's pretty incredible uh, you know uh, and she um, uh, she is a searcher herself mm-hmm. uh, and I know this for a fact I got to meet her once and uh, she engaged me in rock and roll lore and I was. And this is like when she's like 18, 19 years old. And I'm like, yeah, really? Uh, you're a pop princess and you're interested in Pink Floyd. And well, she grew up, uh, in it, you know, she's yeah. not, a, she's not a dumb girl. No, no, and no, she no, was, no. You know, talk about yeah. raised right. But she was uh, born yeah. into this. So, yeah, no, yeah. I've, got, I've got a lot of uh, respect for her. Yeah. Yeah. So did 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 your feelings and your understanding change quite a bit from before and after the project? I think I probably grew to appreciate the longevity a little bit more in a sense of someone who was on top of his field, whatever field that wanted to be at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I I really did appreciate the fact that he remained friends 
with so many people that he worked with, as well as his childhood friends, Jeff and George. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't you don't really hear that sort of story anymore. I mean, you know, there are some major there's a major rock star at the moment who is who is directing her own biopic and um uh a little self-serving huh well but you know is is that person in touch with her childhood friends Mm. i don't i don't know i don't and and why not if 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 no Yeah. yeah and that and i think that so when i look at the the david bowie project I also think, I don't know who in 20 years and 30 years, who would be able to sustain something like that? Oh, I don't, I don't think uh, uh, the music industry is meant for sustainability of artists. In, in fact, it's, it's, it's meant for the exact opposite. It's well, meant but, for uh, you know. a consumer product of, of, uh, of uh, a consumer product of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's ephemeral uh, to be put out and digested uh, in a week or two, so we can sell you the next toy. Uh, well, I, I, I certainly hope musicians of a certain stature have enough knowledge about legacy that they mm-hmm. will start taking steps to protect their legacy. Mm-hmm. Well, we're seeing, we're, yeah, I, I think we're seeing some of that. I mean, uh, you know, um, you know, let's face it, Bob Dylan had a number one album uh, this year. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen. So some of these guys are still putting out quality work well into their 70s. Right. Um, Leonard Cohen's uh, last album comes to yeah, mind, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like probably the album from our for our times. But everyone, <laughs> everyone you're mentioning is is a, a certain a person of a certain age. Yeah. What I'm yeah. Uh, what I'm hoping is that the new generation coming up are going to be aware of what legacy is and how to protect it and how to also allow photographers in. Yeah, that that is a thing that doesn't happen because that much they're anymore. given they're given two and a half three minutes, shots. Yeah, and three I'll, songs, and, and I get yeah. approval, and I want Photoshop, and you got to make my waist look thinner, my nose look smaller. You got to you, you got to take fifteen years off my life, get rid of the wrinkles. I mean, that look at some of these photos. I mean, they, this was the real genuine. The truth, yeah. The truth. So yeah. I I really you know I hope that. There are going to be a few smart ones out there who understand about legacy, because it's not about tomorrow. It is about 30 years. Well, uh, uh, luckily, uh, we might be into a, a brighter future. I'm just hearing that the Kardashians have ended their show, so that that might help uh, a little <sighs> bit on that. <laughs> Too late. Because <laughs> I think they're responsible for a lot of that. <laughs> that uh, imagery is prime and uh the uh the the uh, the art is secondary uh and 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 i think that's 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 backwards you know unless they're smart enough to understand that art can be imagery and imagery can be art yeah you know so i i hope perhaps well, there's a lot of that in this book. Yes, uh, that, yes. that is definite. So yes. I, I found that John um, uh, Scarsbrick uh, the most fun uh, yeah. in the book yeah. because with these photos, there is no doubt the man, Mr. Bowie, was game for anything and like a truly great actor, ready to go all in when the cameras rolled. And put the clothes on and the makeup and get into character 
for those images. Yeah, that, that, yeah regardless those... of what somebody brought. I mean, we're talking, okay, we're going to tape dead fish onto you. Uh, you know, sure. Okay. Let's do it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then to come out with, you know, such fun and interesting, you know, just a completely different view of, uh, of David Bowie that you, you, you may not see with many of the other photographers, which are a little bit more, you know, it's professional or home life or on stage, off stage, um, getting ready, you know, being this, this, this is, I mean, uh, you know, this is just something way off in left field. Yeah. I mean, I think that was, you know, it was such a, a great thing to have those photos be a part of the project because it is once again a new twist. And it's mm. a new twist at, you know, perhaps one of the, you know, the last 10 or 15 years of his life that he's yeah. still taking those chances and, and still, making, yeah, making, taking risks. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely. Know? I mean, uh, I, uh, you know, I love Dylan and, and all those guys, but Bob Dylan would not have done that. <laughs> no, no, you know, Bob, uh, Bob does uh, his uh, chameleon in a different way. He doesn't do it in, through imagery. He does it uh, with his songs, constantly reinventing his, uh, his songs. Uh, but I, I get your point. Um, the book ends with Marcus Klinko, um, who did the promo and cover shots for Heathen uh, from 2002. Yeah. So I have to ask, why end there? Well, strangely enough, um, we couldn't find someone who had anything really more current. And the photographer that I believe was sort of the last, if you will, photographer was Jimmy King. Mm -hmm. And and we're not we're not really sure where Jimmy King is. Oh, you can't find him. You searched high and low, I'm sure. We've made a mini calls. Uh, we, we believe the David Bowie estate and archive own the rights to those images. Mm. And that those are their property and fair enough. That's just where they're going to be. That's where and, they're going to uh, be. Okay. Yes. All right. So hence we didn't get anything from uh, reality in the last tour. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and granted, uh, because of the, the heart attack, uh, the birth of his daughter, we know the story, uh, he decided to retire, uh, when you get right down to it and did so for, um, almost 10 years, uh, and, and then, you know, showed up one day without anybody knowing the wherewithal, uh, and just threw an album out, uh, which, uh, you know, began, uh, uh, the two albums uh, prior, just prior to his yeah. death. But, you know, he, he remained um, fairly reclusive. Uh, and, and I know that's a, a debatable subject. He, if he were alive today to, and were asked that question, he goes, no, you know, I was walking around New York City all the time. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like, but, but just, that, we didn't want that. We didn't want. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, you know, we yeah. wanted the kind the of the personal, proper, yeah. we wanted real proper photo sessions. We didn't want. Yeah street photography yeah walking right? down the street yeah yeah we wanted so. you know where he participated with the photographer so we you know we mm. wanted him um and and we just felt that the clinko well perhaps that was one of the last real studio moments mm -hmm. um that we could figure out yeah it, it it was it was a big question to us and and whether or not that you know was that the right way to end the book but we just felt well you know, if we can't get what we want, 
I didn't yeah. want to substitute it with something lesser. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and it is, uh, it, that's, it's a difficult period. Uh, those last, um, you know, 15 years of, of his life or 13 years um, yeah. you know, yeah. from the, from the time of the heart attack and, uh, uh, and taking himself uh, out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't tour again. Uh, he didn't really promote uh, uh, the albums um uh you know uh officially other than some videos uh huh. was it there was no tour or any of that so um how did you and the and the team feel when when you called the project complete were you, were you all satisfied um, is there something you wished you'd been able to include of course i mean you know with with any especially with with photography well any book really um, I have a hard time looking at the uh, at the books that I work on because I I just see I see what's not there. Oh yeah, we all that's what us <laughs> artists do. Yes, we all see the mistakes and the flaws. Oh, we, or we, oh, yeah. I should have done that, or I should I don't know why, or you know. And then at the end, I'm begging for more pages, and can you know? Can I? Are you sure I can? If you just give me 16 more pages, it will be this. And and uh, uh, but we we at some point just had to say we're done and that's it and that's we need to move and and call the project complete and um and uh yeah i mean it could have been a project we work on for the rest of our lives because because he was so loved because he was so photographed and 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 that's that's the beauty of him is that we really wanted this book to be you know a visual tribute and a visual you know thank you and mm-hmm. and having the photographers involved that we, we got and we thought 25 was a good number. We didn't aim for 25. We didn't think let's go get 25, mm-hmm. but then, you know, 10 escalated quickly. And uh, yeah, we sent the book to, to, to press and, and then I had a, I had to walk away. Yeah. 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 It's uh, I know what it's like to try to walk away. Um, but you know, it, I, I think you probably agree. It just ends up being, you know, diminishing returns and you finally say, look, we just, we just got to go. Uh, and with that, uh, it's a beautiful book. It's, um, you know, it, it, and you know, like I said, it's chronological, but not so, uh, you know, some of these photographers had, uh, relationships with him for 40 or 50 years. Um, you can see that, you know, that, that, that it is, uh, uh, broken into sections specifically for the photographer, regardless mm-hmm. of whether they shot for one day or they, they shot for 40 years, mm-hmm. uh, out there. Um, but it, so it does give you a sense of, um, you know, the time frame mm-hmm. of, of his life and his professional life. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is, uh, those moments of quiet and uh, reflection or an unusual situation like the party scene or, you know, with, with Lexi on, on his, uh, his chest. So it, it gives you a good view of, you know, not just these personas that he put out to the world, but the man behind the mask. Uh, yeah. And, and that's not always easy to achieve. Yeah. And I think you guys did a, a great job. Well, of, so it, of getting the that. photographers did a great job. Well, it starts with the photographers, but it has to be presented in the right uh, manner so that the reader feels like they've, uh, you know, visually, you know, still gotten a story. There's a beginning, a middle and an end uh, yeah. To, yeah. to the book. So, so I got to ask you, what, you know, now that we know you're a big Bowie fan, what did you learn about the man that you didn't know before you began this journey? I, I was not aware of a lot of the early work, so anything prior to Ziggy 
I wasn't very knowledgeable about in terms of Ray Stevenson's archive, Vernon Dewhurst's story. Um, and so I think the, the early years, the setting it up part was that that was the most interesting to me to learn that he did, he didn't, you know, succeed right away. And he did play in clubs with 10 people and he had that curly hair and he tested the makeup a little bit and, and should, and then the, um, I think it's Ray Stevenson's got that crazy photo of David Bowie trying to stage dive. So trying to yeah. emulate oh, that's right. oh, yeah, and then yeah. trying to, well, well, Iggy Pop does this. And so yeah, I'm going to try. How do you do that? <laughs> and it didn't work. It did, did not work to his advantage. So just seeing him, yeah. You know, in those yeah, he early... was not the kind of man to break the fourth wall. Uh... No, no. We did a we did a great Iggy Pop book a couple of years ago um, from uh, the Whiskey, nineteen seventy. So uh, mm -hmm. right around when they were doing uh, Funhouse. Yeah, Stooges, right? Crazy is yeah. the most. I mean, that, I'll send you a copy because it is. Please. It is another one of those one night at the Whiskey, and it's the Stooges are just going mad and there's Iggy litter on the floor and with wax. I mean, there it's, oh, yeah. there, it's, you know, yeah. and well, I'm you sure. Know, the, the, Iggy's always a car crash. You know, you just cannot look away. Last uh, man standing, you know. <laughs> man. Last man standing. He is, isn't he? It's Yeah, I know. Uh, the, the picture of Mick, and Mick, uh, Mick always loves, he oh, loves that I love picture. That and, and, you know, when I asked him, I think he said, ah, yes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But, like, then yeah, the, yeah. but the fact that Iggy's got the T-Rex t-shirt on, that's yeah, what, yeah, that's you know, right. it, it brings it all together. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love I love seeing those early shots because you, you forget, well, he had to start somewhere and it wasn't going to be, you know, on stage at the uh, Hammersmith. It wasn't going to be, you know, on stage in front of. of, of no, you know. it, it, it was, a, you know, this was a long gestation period. Yeah, to yeah, become yeah. A star uh, and with with some fraught and uh, some offshoots that. Um, uh, maybe didn't work as well as uh, as others, uh, but but again, you know, uh, we're so fearful of failure. Um, but as an artist, I you just you just gotta realize that's part of the game, and it's sometimes you're gonna fail, and and that's fine. You will learn something from that failure if you can. If you if you're a reflective person, you will learn no. something from that that will make you more successful the next no. go around. It's true. You gotta get up and try again. Yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe that that gig with with the acoustic guitar and in front of the 12, 12 people. I mean that you know that led that led to something. Uh, it 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 certainly did. Yes. Uh, and um uh, and and I know from that period there's actually at least two iterations before we ever get to Ziggy. So he's still failing for a couple more years uh, until there. Now I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask for the diggers because I know it's over your uh, your shoulder here. What is the next rock and roller for the Icon team? Uh, well, hmm. There's a few in the works. I will tell you. Well, I'll, am I going to jinx? Well, you have though? the one behind you here. Well, Sukita, hundred yeah. percent. So we're doing uh, his kind of master work. So it's going to be a, a career overview from the early photos uh, of his life, street, his mother, portraiture, to David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Mark Bolin, and then on to film set, the the work he did with Jim Jarmusch. 
Japanese musician. So it is going to be a true amazing career overview of uh, uh, Tsukida-san's uh, career. That's mm -hmm. going to be phenomenal. But um, and that's we're close to finishing that for next for next year. But there are two projects that I'm very excited about, um, and and they involve two bands that uh, that I love. So I'm hoping they both come off. Obviously, I'm not going to get the full story uh, here, but um, uh, I look forward to those because I'm sure they are going to be as beautifully uh, produced as uh, David Bowie icon uh, yes. was. Uh, and I look forward to getting back together with you in the future to talk about those. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'm going to send you that the Iggy and the Stooges book because... Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. You'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. It's, it's a great book. Well, Carrie, Kanya, thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock. Thank today. you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's hear it for Carrie Kanya. Lots of good stuff in there. Um, uh, I just such a fun interview um, and something very different uh, for me. Uh, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as as I did. Uh, make sure you go and get yourself Bowie David Bowie Icon from ACC Arts Books. Um, you can find it online, uh, no problem. Uh, of course, you are not going to want any kind of online version. If you, I, I, don't, I don't even think that's available. You're going to want the real thing. If you are a Bowie fan, um, this book will sit prominently in, uh, in your library. Uh, it's one of those things where you can pick it up, and it works so well with the subject because he's constantly changing and the photographer's constantly changed as well. And so you kind of get this new view of the man um, that I, I hadn't picked up on before. I really, in, in an esoteric way, I, I can't put my finger on why this worked so well for me other than I felt like I was seen something new and there are there are there are some unpublished photos uh in here um so i again i highly recommend this and i mean if you are a bowie fan you have to get this book uh so i'll leave you at that all right so i i said we'd come back to black star and um the reason i want to is you know is that you know again um 
um, in early January, uh, January 8th is, um, is Bowie's birthday. I believe it was the 10th when, uh, when he passed away and Blackstar came out on his birthday in 2016. It, there was no mention of him being ill. It was kept very quiet. And so, you know, I, I get the album, uh, and it's a very different Bowie album. I think personally, it sits up at the very top of his catalog. It may be the best album he made. Um, uh, top to bottom, it first of all, it's a jazz rock album. Um, I don't. A lot of people don't know that uh, Bowie had a huge love and understanding of jazz. Uh, it came uh, a lot from from his brother, who you know, his older uh, half brother, who who taught him all about uh, jazz. And so, it I find it really interesting that the last album that he makes is is this jazz rock album. It's still a Bowie album, but it's got this jazz component to it that's amazing. Um. For me, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, it came out, uh, I, and this was a Friday. I, I, I know it viscerally. And, um, you know, I put it on. I listened to the, the tracks, uh, you know, Black Star, the first track. It, it, it's like a 10-minute rock opera that invokes, and if you've seen the uh, the video, it evokes, uh, you know, the, the, the major Tom mythos uh, that Bowie now has brought back for a third time uh you know as you know uh you know space oddity uh and then ashes to ashes so for the third time he comes back uh lazarus was the the big single uh on there um but all the songs uh uh on this album i thought were pretty amazing so i'm listening to it january 8th and going wow this is this is a really good album um uh, and uh, God, I really hope he comes back out and tours and, you know, thinking, you know, that maybe, you know, he'd gotten healthy and that, um, you know, he could, he could, you know, come back to us. Uh, and so I digest this album and I have thoughts about each song and what they mean and what he's trying to say. Cause you know, that was, that's always a, a fun game with Bowie is, so, uh, you know, what, 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 what is he really trying to say in these, uh, in these lyrics? And then Sunday night, uh, I'm working, I was actually, we were working on a rock and roll archeology pop, uh, uh, episode. And my wife comes in and says, it just came out of the wires. <sighs> that David Bowie passed away. And I was in shock. Um, the first thing I did was put Black Star on. And every song meant something completely different. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, if this was, as some have suggested um this was a um you know a present um to all of us before he left um that was pretty shocking uh, i know tony visconti has said that that is not the case that um you know bowie was still working on some things and you know had hoped to come back um um and and do do more um but all i know is that the the album meant one thing and then it meant something different within three days. Um, and I'd never had that happen before. I'd never, uh, you know, there's plenty of rock stars that have died and, uh, you know, you listen to their music and, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't 
dramatically change. It still holds what it held when you first listened to it. Um, this was insane. I, I never, you know, I never thought of, of, of something like this happening, um, where, you know, which tells me the interpretive value of these songs and, and, you know, and, and it, it, it enlightened me on art and all kinds of, of amazing thoughts that I'd never had before, um, uh, because of, of, of the experience. So I just wanted to lay that on you, um, and, uh, leave you with, with that. So do go out and get the, the, uh, David Bowie icons book. You won't regret it. Uh, next week uh, will be our last show of the year, uh, and we're going with uh, one more of the immediate family. Uh, we're getting down to the end here. Uh, we've been uh, uh, parsing those out uh, for the last six months. Uh, we've had uh, Leland Scalar and um, Danny Korchmar uh, and Russ Kunkel so far. Uh, we still have um, Steve Postel uh, coming up. But uh, next week will be the, uh, the Zelig figure himself, the man who you have seen and not known for decades uh, playing guitar by such greats as um, Stevie Nicks and um, Werewolves of London, Warren Zevon, and many others. Like I said, a, a true zealot character in rock and roll. Wadi Wachtel will be our guest next week. All right. So until then, hey, you guys know what to do. First of all, have a good Christmas and holiday and whatever it is you celebrate. And then keep up the rocket. Look up here. I'm in heaven I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama can't be stolen Everybody knows me now Diggs is hosted by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. <laughs>
From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.